Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. If I have it my way, the podcasts are going to come fast and furiously over the next couple of weeks because, man, do we have a lot to break down. Before we get to all that, though, And I know I'm reaching back a ways to do this, but I feel the need to address a story or report that I think is one of the reasons the relationship between the media and players is as contentious and sometimes fractured as it appears to be. Jerry Wolfel is a longtime Milwaukee sports writer. He's now writing for his own website. He recently posted a story asking a handful of scouts and executives if Giannis Antetokounmpo's brother, Thanasis, should be in the NBA. He made it a simple yes or no question, and he got three no's, although he noted that the scout took 10 seconds to consider it before answering. The one GM that he asked answered honestly. He said, hey, we know what that's all about. It's all about appeasing Giannis. Of course it is. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, if Thanasis practices hard, is a positive presence in the locker room, and is happy with whatever few minutes of playing time he gets, he's doing exactly what you would want from one of the players at the end of the bench. Bottom of the roster players around the league, particularly those that are vets, are not the most talented players a team can find to fill those spots. Let me say that again. The, t- the 12 players on a roster, the 15 players on a roster, they're not the most talented players a team can find. The guys at the end of the bench are projects or mentors or chemistry enhancers. Udonis Haslam with the Heat is a perfect example. Boban Marjanovic was already in his late 20s when the Spurs signed him to a contract. He's been a steady DNP machine his entire career. 
which has stretched over seven years now with six different teams, logging a total of 316 games. Why? Because he's great to be around. He works hard and he doesn't complain. But he's not attracting any league MVPs to play with him. If Thanasis is part of the reason Giannis re-signed with the Bucs and is content in Milwaukee, he's worth a hell of a lot more than his $1.8 million salary. Wolfel could ask the Spurs or any of the teams that Boban played for the, the very same question. Should Boban be in, in the NBA? But everybody loves Boban. He's doing commercials. So nobody's going to take that shot. And I'm not even sure why you would need to take a shot. And I hope I'm pronouncing Thanasis' name correct, uh, correctly. I'm not well-versed in Greek. Um, but Wolfel made it sound as if the Bucks are unnecessarily kowtowing to Giannis and wasting money by paying Thanasis what is essentially a vet minimum. It's just, as I said, it's just an, such an unnecessary shot at Giannis and the Bucks. And while all this may be coming from someone on the 18th hole of his career, most players are not going to recognize that distinction, particularly young players who are not used to the kind of acerbic coverage that was in vogue 20 years ago in newspapers like the one Wolfel wrote for previously. Now, the story came and went, but it still bothers me. It was totally unnecessary and on some level damaging to my craft. All right, on to the playoffs where we learned once more, talking about talent, certain level of talent is necessary to win, but a certain level of IQ to go with it is indispensable. Now, I'm about to dive into some players that I like and fully expect to eventually get it, but I'm going to talk about them because I didn't realize they have so much to get. And they are. Minnesota Timberwolves wing Anthony Edwards and Memphis Grizzlies point guard John Morant. And if I sound a little upset about the fact that I have to talk about them, I don't know if I sound upset or not, but if I do, it's because I gave both of them places on my All-NBA teams, an award I consider as meaningful as any of the individual annual awards. Because when it comes to the really big individual awards, MVP, Coach of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, a lot depends on the team around the player or coach. I still consider a player's team record when considering them for All-NBA recognition, but less so than I do for the bigger awards. If you're one of the best six guards, six forwards, or three centers, and yes, the league still breaks it down in positions, I think that's going to go away. Your team should at least be in the hunt, in the hunt for a playoff spot. You can't be a last place team. Can't be at the bottom. That includes making the play-in tournament as far as being in the hunt. But it doesn't have to be much more than that. Luka Doncic made my first team at guard even though Dallas didn't make the play-in. And I'm going to chalk that up to extraordinary circumstances, that they dropped their last two games to avoid making it in order to keep their first-round pick this year, the trade to get Kyrie at the trade deadline. Normally, you don't make big trades for players that big, that momentous or impactful 
at the trade deadline. But otherwise, they would have, they would have, I think they would have, certainly they would have been in the play-in and I would have expected them to make the playoffs. They did all that because otherwise they would have conveyed their draft pick uh, to the Knicks as part of the Kristaps Porzingis trade. Laurie Markkinen made my third team, even though the Jazz didn't make the play-in either. Again, because there was a concerted effort by his team not to make it in the final weeks. I'm not putting that on Markkinen. Coach of the year, MVP, defensive player of the year, your team better be significantly better than that. I don't see how you can be the best at one of those things and not have your team at or near the top of your conference. There are occasional exceptions, but they are very, very rare. I should also note that load management and injuries had a huge influence on my all-NBA selections this year. I decided to make 60 appearances, the cutoff for qualifying. The league didn't specify that, although it has instituted that next year a minimum of 65 games and a certain number of minutes in those games have to be played for a player to qualify for any regular season award. I believe I've made an exception in the past maybe once or twice for a player who played less than 60 games, but that has been extremely rare as well. As a result of making that cutoff, it required me to leave some names off that I wouldn't have otherwise. Based on the games they played, both Steph Curry and Kevin Durant would have made my first team. But Steph only played 55 regular season games and KD only played 47. Edwards and Morant, as a result, received coveted spots among my All-NBA 15. I don't know if they would have otherwise. And both made the second team. Morant getting there ahead of Jalen Brunson and De'Aaron Fox, who were on the third team at guard. And Edwards getting the nod over DeMontis Sabonis and Markinen, who were on my third team at forward. If you listen to this podcast regularly, you know that I value the playoffs greatly as the truest litmus test for whether or not a player is truly elite. And this gets to why I'm upset. Um, Because of this year's many absences due to not enough games played, my all-NBA teams were littered with players who have not yet truly proven themselves in the postseason. I picked them with the full expectation that they would validate themselves in the postseason. It's a little bit like when I voted for Giannis for MVP a couple seasons ago. I could see through the course of the year that, one, he was that valuable and that he was going to validate it in the postseason. It's just the way, he, the way he was playing, the role that he was playing, the decisions that he was making. I could see it coming. I thought I was going to see that with Ant Edwards, and he proved me wrong. Is he a top 15 talent? I believe so. Is he a top 15 player? Not based on what we've seen in this postseason. I mean, not at all, really. And you might be saying, wait, Buker, what do you mean? I just read on Twitter that Ant is the fourth youngest player in NBA playoff history to score 40 points and is the youngest player to score 40-plus points and make five three-pointers in a playoff game. Yes, you read that. So did I. I'm not sure what it means, but I know it doesn't mean that Ant is one of the best players in the league. The only meaningful part 
was that it pointed out he has yet to turn 22 in the in the, the post that I read. He is young. He has that going for him. It's reason not to say he can't be a great player. Yes, he scored 41 points. Yes, he made 6 of 10 threes and 14 of 23 overall, 60%, which is damn good. But he also played 42 minutes and had two rebounds. He played 42 minutes and had four assists, as many as Rudy Gobert. He played 42 minutes, had 41 points, and yet was a negative three. And maybe most important, the Timberwolves lost the game. He had a big scoring night, and they lost by nine. Can we stop celebrating losing performances as if they are historic or meaningful? They're not. They never have been. A great player does what is necessary to win, not what is necessary to produce a good-looking box score. Because great players have a choice in where to devote their energy and how they impact the game. It's what makes them great. Role players can only impact the game in a certain way, in a certain area. If their job is to defend, they defend. If their job is to rebound, they rebound. Ant has the talent to do everything. But what he has proved in these playoffs is that he can't, not at will, not with an understanding of what it is he must do to best benefit the T-Wolves' chance of winning. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. In the, in the Timberwolves' first play-in game, arguably the most important postseason game that Minnesota has played this year, the Lakers exposed that if Ant is made to read the defense and find the nooks and crannies to still be effective, he is going to struggle. They essentially played a zone plus one every time he got the ball, and he, either, he neither knew how to move without the ball to find holes in it, nor how to attack its seams and create holes. As a result, far too often, he probed and backed off or stepped back for long jumpers, or he went blazing at the rim and was met by a slew of bodies. Driving and kicking was not even a thought. Getting inside the zone and pulling up for jumpers or floaters, I didn't see any. He was the best candidate physically. This is what really hurts. He was the best candidate physically that the T-Wolves had to score down the stretch as the Lakers dialed up their effort and physicality. And because he didn't or couldn't, the T-Wolves offense went completely stagnant down the stretch. It was a far cry as a comparison from what Brunson did Jalen Brunson did in game one against the Cleveland Cavaliers, particularly at crunch time. Given the vote over again, I would have put him on the second team and moved Morant down, or possibly off. And I would have moved Edwards down to the third team at the very least and moved up DeMontis Sabonis. I might have had to rethink leaving Jimmy Butler off my ballot entirely. And this is where it gets tricky and why Edwards and Morant were on my ballot, because... 
Based on regular season performance, they both played consistently at an extremely high level. But as we know, regular season can be so deceiving. If you're a, if you're a physical freak, conscientious about taking care of your body and giving a nightly effort, you're going to have an advantage. Teams have game plans for specific players in the regular season, but there's not a whole lot of time to get into great detail. There are just too many games. They come too fast, and there's barely any practice time, especially today. It truly is closer to AAU basketball than it's ever been, and anyone who has watched an AAU tournament can tell you that it's more of a who can get up and down faster more often than who can dissect the opposing opponent's defense-type contest. Defense in the in AAU tournaments or AAU games is played selectively and second and third efforts are un, unheard of. I was aware watching Edwards over the course of the season that his decision-making still needed some improvement. But one, it appeared as if he was giving effort defensively and recognizing when and how he should attack certain defenses. And he was just so talented that even questionable decisions seemed to always work out. We'll see how the rest of these playoffs go. Timberwolves only have what would look like one more game. But barring any major breakthrough, it would take something extraordinary for Edwards to make my ballot next year. He would have to show something during the regular season that he really took a leap as a result of his experience in these playoffs. As for Ja. I just admired how hard he played every night during the regular season. Like Edwards, he sometimes forced the issue, but it worked out for him because he would find a way to get the ball up and into the hoop. Unlike Edwards, I expected him to play far smarter once the Grizzlies reached the postseason. And I did not see that at all before he injured his right wrist in Game 1. In fact, he injured his wrist with what was not a very smart play. In the course of watching a game, I'll see star players do certain things and think, what is he doing? And I've watched the game long enough to understand that there is a strategy to every possession. The pro game goes a lot deeper than just trying to stay in front of your man and force him into a difficult shot or getting past your man to take a shot or create one for someone else. There's testing how a defender or a team reacts when you do certain things. Being mindful of the score in what kind of shot you try to create. Being conscious who, of who is on the floor for your team at any given time and the other team and allowing that to dictate how you attack. Those are just a few elements under consideration. But if you've watched closely enough for enough years, you pick up on the rhythms and strategies. I can tell when a player decides he needs to get to the line and score with the clock stopped so that A, he can disrupt the flow or pace of the game which is favoring the opponent in that moment, and B, so the team's defense can get set and have a chance to get everyone on the same page and recapture some confidence in their ability to get a stop. I can also tell when a player recognizes that the other team's collective heads are spinning a bit and he pushes the tempo or forces the issue to exploit their confusion and knock them further back on their heels. You see Steph Curry do that a lot. He's got a great sense of that. All of which is why one particular play in game one against the Lakers by Ja baffled me. The Lakers were back on defense and Ja came down and went into his and one bag of ball handling tricks. His defender, Jared Vanderbilt, I believe it was, was squared up on him and had help behind him. Ja was below the three-point line, slightly 
above the left elbow. The Lakers had a small lead, if I remember correctly. Anyway, after the dribbling display, which didn't really accomplish anything as far as moving the defense or getting Vanderbilt to react, he rose up and shot a mid-range jumper. I can't even remember if it went in or not because it was beside the point. Ja had just wasted this massive amount of energy for very little return, made basket or not. Didn't get anybody involved, didn't make the defense work. It felt like a play you see on the playground when a really good player on a team that is losing wants to show he's got game before he gets run off the court so he gets picked up by whoever has next. The reason it disappointed me is that this is year three for Ja and the Grizzlies' core going to the playoffs. Ja, Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr., Dylan Brooks, Xavier Tillman, Tyus Jones, John Conchar, they've all been together all that time which means they should know how this works. They should know how important efficiency is in the postseason. Not wasting energy. Not getting caught up in one-on-one battles. Not giving away game ones of a series that you have the home court advantage. Yet the comments by Dylan Brooks in particular coming into the series about looking forward to the challenge of playing LeBron and Ja looking to dance on Vanderbilt indicated they are blissfully unaware that of how the postseason works. And maybe it's because they've never been past the second round. Maybe it's because they were beat in five, in six games in the second round last year by the Warriors, but we're told it was much more closely fought than the typical series decided in six games. Who knows? I just expected them to beat the Lakers because of their collective postseason experience along with their talent and versatility and willingness to defend. And in Game 1, Austin Reeves, making his first playoff appearance ever, played a smarter, far smarter, more composed game. I've attributed a lot of the Grizzlies' issues over the course of the season, most specifically the out-of-line behavior by Ja and Dylan, as being a byproduct of the organization being so young, top to bottom. Taylor, Taylor Jenkins is a young coach, this being his fourth year as the Grizzlies head coach, and 10th overall working in the NBA. That's relatively young for an NBA head coach. Zach Kleiman is their GM. He's worked for the Grizzlies for eight years and is a former lawyer. Neither of them has spent any time around an organization with a championship culture that I know of. They don't know what it looks like, much less how to create it. But there are certain things that can be learned by trial and error, and the Grizzlies have had time to learn that about the postseason, if they chose to pay attention. What they're capable of, and conversely what the Lakers are still vulnerable to, was on full display in Game 2. This time, without Ja, the Grizzlies were the smarter team, for the most part. Dylan Brooks is still a roller coaster. But Jenkins did a nice job of sitting him down when he got too far off the rails, and the Grizzlies played their best basketball, collective basketball, when he was on the bench. And maybe we shouldn't have been surprised by their Game 1 loss. They dropped their first game of the playoffs last year to the Timberwolves, who, like the Lakers, had to make it in via the play-in. That comes with youth, too, not being ready out of the gate when the green light goes on. What makes this Grizzlies series truly interesting now is what effect Ja will have when he gets back. He watched how the Grizzlies dismantled the Lakers in Game 2. 
how the ball moved, how the Lakers zone was sliced and diced by getting the ball to Xavier Tillman in the middle of it, how no one looked to make it a personal one-on-one battle except on the defensive end, where every player was committed to making life hard on their assignment and helping out with smart, effective trapping when it was called for. It's time for Ja to grow up. The Grizzlies' playoff lives depend on it. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you watch me on TV, you will have noted the fine array of shirts that I wear. All of them are by Mizzen and Main. M-I-Z-Z-E-N-A-N-D-M-A-I-N.com. They are performance wear material. They're comfortable, they're stylish, and right now, if you go check them out, you can get a discount by using the promo code BUCHER, B-U-C-H-E-R-3-5. They have a whole new line of shirts, joggers, slacks, polos, you name it. Go check them out. Mizzen and Main, M-I-Z-Z-E-N-A-N-D-M-A-I-N.com. They are literally the only dress shirt that I will wear. And I've branched out. I've got their joggers. I've got their t-shirts. Really love their stuff. I think you will too. Check them out. All right. In the next podcast, man, we got a whole, we got a big weekend of playoff games coming. I will be attending some of them. I will be watching the rest. And I will be talking about them here. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.